0: Live. uh, Teresa, whilst everyone has uh, started to dial in on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and and YouTube, where are you today, please, Teresa?
1: I'm in my office on our farm.
0: And whereabouts in the beautiful uh, English countryside is your is your farm, please?
1: In the garden of Kent, near Tunbridge. So we're a small village called Matfield, where my husband oh. has lived literally half a mile from where he was born and brought up. So he hasn't moved very far, and we've lived here for now over fifty years.
0: And, and Teresa, what were we saying in our green room? It's I'm just going to date this. I don't normally, but Monday the 20th First of February, two thousand and twenty-two. For all of our international viewers, it's a bit windy in the UK. Uh, Teresa, what are we on now? We're on our third. Is that our second or third storm in in as many days? And we're get, we're getting blown. I mean, I'm expecting to, to look outside of my office window and see a trampoline going by followed by a horse cart or a lorry or something. Is it, is it still windy with you down in Kent today?
1: Um, it, it's windy, but it's not as windy as it was on Friday, which was quite frightening. And of course, we and, and half, well, most of the village lost our electricity on off, on off. And they lost it on Saturday for 12 hours. Good grief. Tough but, on
0: people. But come on, Teresa, this is this not a proper storm, is it? Because you no. and I remember... October the sixteenth, nineteen eighty-seven. The storm of all storms. And, and again, th- those of a younger generation won't know how cataclysmic that that storm was. Or, or our international viewers. And just to give a bit of background, it was um, our early autumn, and the trees were still in full leaf. And Teresa, I think we—it was—it was quite wet, wasn't it? So all the trees, they just acted like sails and this huge hurricane came in thank thank the lord um in the middle of the night so no one was actually about uh, on the road but the devastation that that it created um theresa where were you on that night of october the 16th 1987 in the great uk storm
1: Well, I remember it really well. we were actually in our barn down on the other farm and we lost tiles. But and my husband thought he'd go out and have a look, which is probably the stupidest thing he could do. But the next morning um, it was devastation. And I don't think the rest of the country realised how bad it was. We lost 1500 trees, Mm -hmm. uh, which is actually not a lot, but they were young orchards. They were pulled over, but we actually couldn't get out. So as we lost electricity and I had to work in London, in the end, I managed to decamp after two or three days and go and live at the farmers club because we had no electricity for 10 days. But everybody in the village helped each other. You know, they 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 were eating well. They opened their freezers and we were having pheasants and all sorts of things for those who'd got gas cookers. But people didn't realize that all along the south coast, seven oaks lost six of its seven
0: oaks. What we well, you, you, you still? I thought because I was doing my uh, pre-college year before I went to Harper on a dairy farm near Seven Oaks and Seven Oaks. Seven Oaks everyone was called Seven Oaks because it had these seven magnificent trees and they, they went down to two o- overnight. And the dairy farm I was on, we had no no power. We lost the a- and a number of the, the the sheds, and we had something like eighty cows that we then had to milk by hand for the next ten days because we had no power, could't get the generators in. it was a it, it was a fascinating time series. it wasn't it was a real th- there was a real community spirit that that that, that came about that day.
1: Yes, there was a sort of spirit, I imagine, must have been going on in the war because everybody checked, are you all right? And because the places we simply couldn't get through, people had to walk around or bicycle Um, and they really did help each other. But it took two days for the government and everybody to wake up that we needed the army. We needed real help because it was just the southeast corner, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But in the meantime, um, who looked to help everyone? It was the farming community. Uh, because Absolutely. It, it was only farmers who had uh, tractors or low loaders or, or chainsaws to, to, to help everyone out. But, uh, Teresa, hopefully we, we won't have that occur with the, with this third storm that we, we've got coming in coming in through the UK. Uh, but we, we, be, we best stay indoors whilst, whilst we have our chat, shall we?
1: Right. Good idea.
0: Uh, and, Teresa, what I wanted to do was that uh, the, the, the reason that we requested Teresa come, come on is that I saw um, Teresa um, in action at the National Fruit Show, Um, And I was down there being very kindly um, requested by Teresa and Sarah, Sarah, Sarah to um, do a number of live interviews. And unfortunately, I couldn't get to to Teresa because she was so busy talking to the the, the politicians of the day that were there and also looking after all the exhibitors. So we thought, well, let's get Teresa on and have a proper conversation uh, with her because there's so much that we can learn from her. So especially for those on the um, uh, on the podcast, let's just give a bit of uh, background on Teresa. Theresa Wickham, produce, produce, and retail phenomenon is the archetypal pioneer. In 1979, she declared war on French apples and co-founded the Women's Farming Union, which ran a successful campaign to revitalize the UK fruit industry. By 1990, she was the first woman divisional director of UK retailer Safeway, where she developed the Strathclyde Food Project, bringing together farmers, growers, manufacturers and retailers to close the UK's trade gap, and later became an advisor to the Sainsbury's board on the 1 billion corporate responsibility programme. Since then, she's held numerous roles managing and developing areas of business, primarily in food, agribusiness and the retail industry, um, and also is... Uh, Governor of the Royal Agricultural College slash University, Chairman of the Oxford Farming Conference and non-exec of New Covent Garden Market Authority, all culminating in the Woman of the Decade in Food, Farming and Innovation Accolade, awarded in uh, India by the Women's Economic Forum in 2018. Today, Although no longer consulting and into her 70s, I don't believe this, she continues to energize and influence the industry as president of the National Fruit Show and as a regular broadcaster for the BBC on retail and consumer issues. And Teresa, I love this statement. My focus, says Teresa, is to help the next generation. I don't think you ever retire in this industry. You just do what you want to do rather than what you have to do. My job now is opening doors for people. And just having a quick catch up with uh, Teresa in our, a little green room. Some of the people that she's just mentioned uh, to me that could uh, help help us has just is, is already stunned me. But Teresa, was that a good summary of your of your career today?
1: Um, yes, it was. Um, it, it's uh, it wasn't an, an intentional career. <coughs> I got married, <coughs> sorry, very young, and thought that's it. Um, <coughs> red Arga four children and working on the farm. And of course, uh, financially, we needed to do more than just um, we needed another income. And also the industry was not having a happy time because we'd just gone into the common market. So these things have flowed from that, but without any planned career or massively um, good education. I didn't go to university. I didn't get A-levels. So none of that. So it's really I was lucky with the people that I worked with.
0: Okay, and I have to ask you the personal question. How did you meet your husband?
1: Oh, well, to, through his sister, um, after, uh, who was uh, at secretary of college with a great friend of mine. And um, the great friend came down to stay with his sister, living near Tunbridge Wells. My family were in Tunbridge Wells at the time, but I'd never known the village. So it was his sister who introduced uh, me to her brother.
0: Okay. And was it love at first first sight? Or did you think a farmer? What, what, what should it, why would I go anywhere near a farmer?
1: Oh, no, he was a very smooth man. He still is. <laughs> and um, we were engaged within a year. So, you know, you know, you know when you've got the right thing to do. And funnily enough, I was only 21 at the time when I got married and people oh. did get married younger then, uh, particularly yep. in the farming industry, because you you got in and you got on with it.
0: Yeah. Uh, but... How, how do i with this you you could have just been the archetypal um, farmer's wife and, and uh, done everything to keep the the the, the farming life lifestyle uh, going but you 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 didn't you went off and as as i said in the in our in our uh, preamble you were the pioneer what what is it about you what's the magic dust that's created this this vision and this direction and this uh, career uh, uh, career objective that you've looked to create for yourself
1: Well, uh, my husband was working for his father, so he was the farm manager and I was his wife. And we thought that we might end up in our 50s, uh, probably running the farm with everybody else from the family, wanting a share. So we thought we'd got to do something for ourselves. And culminating at the same time, the apple industry was in dire straits. uh, And I got together with the two other girls, Margaret and Anne, to start the Women's Farming Union. And because we were all so different that was the that was the spur that got on we were going to fight for our livelihood and our children's future
0: okay and um, was that an easy journey or did you meet resistance
1: um it was it was an interesting journey Um, Considering how young we were and how different we were, we didn't realize the um, waves we were creating at the time because we were absolutely focused on the fact that the French were determined to drive our industry out and we weren't going to have it. So if you've got three different people and three different brains all focused on the right thing, you learn a lot from each other. And of course, we were really helped by we were helped by Peter Walker, the Ministry of Agriculture, who saw us as a weapon he could use, totally Mm -hmm. uncontrolled. We were helped by some very good people behind the scenes who gave us some information, which we used in the public and was quoted in the Selborne report. So it gave us credibility. It wasn't just women shouting.
0: So, but Teresa, just got to, got to uh, just pull you up on something. Do you, are you adamant that the French actually wanted to destroy the UK fruit sector? The UK?
1: Yes, but two things had happened. Um, the English um, apple industry and, and part, in fact, of the farming industry, had not realized the impact on our market when we joined the common market, what would happen. And the second thing they hadn't realized was how the supermarkets were growing. And, you know, we were supplying stuff on the home market, which wasn't really fit for quality in some areas, whereas a buyer from one of the big retailers could ring France and get 10,000 boxes of apples at the end of the week, all looking the same and graded. And the French growers were the ex-Algerian orange growers who de Gaulle had got over to France. They were very good at cooperation. They got brand new orchards and the Golden Delicious could make more money just going into what we had then was intervention. So they, they were out to do it, but we had to give evidence in Westminster that the French were cheating. And nobody else uh, agreed with us. They said, oh no, et cetera, like that. So our challenge, they gave us three weeks to come back with evidence that the French were going against the Treaty of Rome. And that's where we called in a lot of help and came back and presented where they were cheating, which was uh, the money they were getting for their promotions.
0: Okay, and and having presented that, uh, that evidence, Did the UK government at that time manage to influence the retailers to then stop buying or or buy more more limited product from from the French?
1: No, our engagement really was um, with the consumer. We got the British consumer on our side, and that's what farming still has to do. It, yeah, it's the consumer good. who put the pressure on the retailers. And we started two schemes. One was because the French weren't taking our lamb. That was another thing that helped us. And we took a fresh lamb to the French embassy and Harrods. And did, we did a lot of media things that uh, had a very good sort of focus on it. But yeah. we started two schemes. One was at retail surveillance, and everybody wrote to us who wanted support British apple growers. There's something about apples and the English. And um, so we set out a cards and we had people all over the country filling in postcards, prepaid, pre-done by a sponsor and telling us what the state of English apples were in the shop. And then we went to the big retailers and hit them over the head if they were bad and praised them if they were good. So it was the consumer power that helped us. And the fact we were women were good because if you think about it at that time, um, 1980s, um, well, well, a bit earlier than that, um, 79 we started, so 1980s, the image of a farmer's wife wasn't necessarily uh, the image that we portrayed, so, but we had, we had help. We had tremendous support behind the scenes, and the Earl of Selborne um, was producing a report for the growers, and he invited Margaret and I to go around the country with him to talk to growers, so that gave us a platform, because we had no money. Wow. No money at all, so we just relied on people to to help us. So by going around the country, we could set up different
0: branches and groups, and yeah. people
1: got together. But it was it was really, you know, we weren't going to be beaten.
0: What what a military op- operation! It, uh, what what are the learnings that you learned from the seventies, eighties, in the respect of winning that that campaign that we can learn? Today, as we go through the 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 ongoing um, issues within within the top fruit sector, what Teresa, what can we learn from back then uh, to implement today, please? Well, I think it's the engagement with the consumer. But the okay. thing is, it's no good saying to the consumer, just
1: buy British. What we've got to do is give them a message of why it's in their interest to buy British. So we said to them very, very clearly, um, if, if it goes on like this, you, the consumer, will lose your chance to buy British apples. Yeah. Not, not whinging, but actually giving a direct thing. And that's the only bit that strikes a chord with the consumer. And yeah. of course, there was no social media in those days.
0: Yeah. So
1: it's yeah. more difficult, but
0: but we could control it more. Okay, and and the likes of the, the, the British Apple groups on uh, the uh, Facebook, I'm amazed at how much attraction they get. But do you think that today the the British consumer is is very, very fickle? Um, in that they, they have less of an understanding of UK farming, UK horticulture, um, we're, we're all decked out with clothing from all around the world, all my IT kit is all from all from around the world. Do you think the UK consumer does care about buying uh, UK produce or um, perhaps doesn't, doesn't care? Well,
1: well, I think COVID has changed a lot of this, because I think what happened when people had lockdown, uh, they suddenly bought a lot of produce locally uh, and they sourced locally and uh, and people went online with it. Um, So I think it is. But, you know, it's a bit like um, buying free range eggs. If you stood outside the supermarket with a clipboard and you say to somebody, oh, do you buy free range eggs? They'd say, oh, yes, I'd never buy battery hens. <clears throat> but it wasn't until we had an electronic card uh, and a loyalty card that we actually knew what people bought. We knew what we sold. Yeah. So that's the technology. People might say what you want to hear, but not practice it, partly sometimes because their budget won't allow them to. Yeah. But I think, there is a, I think there is a stronger awareness. It always used to be there in the older generation, but I think there's a stronger awareness. Of why people want to source from the uk and people are waking up to maybe countries that we buy from don't have the sort of practices that we want after all if you buy a two pound t-shirt what conditions it's going to be produced in so i think people are thinking more but but it's not obvious
0: yeah i, I like the the comment and I've, I've forgotten his name um uh, the, the ceo of the of the compass group was the city uh, food uh, main city food lecture main speaker about three three years ago and he gave this vision of his uh, granddaughter in 20, 30 years time that she'd be on a treadmill in her gym in London and she'd have um, a, a pair of glasses on, smart glasses, and uh, while she was on the treadmill she'd be able to select the meal that she wanted that night uh, by swiping left or right with, the, with her eyes um, and that she would be wanting to check the prov- providence of her food, that she would only be wanting to um, procure local um, English apples to have on her, her, her fruit salad. And I thought that was quite interesting then that people, and especially on the back of COVID, um, people want to eat more fresh produce and they do want to um, find product that is is more local to them because of food. So there does seem to be an understanding of that. But then, as you you say, Teresa, there are uh, some families who, especially with food inflation that we've got at the moment, they're just buying the cheapest food. So I suppose it comes back down to. That, that retail pressure, and, it's a, and that's a nice segue to, to bring in. With, with the success that you had with the Women's Farming Union, how did you then get into, into retail? What, what was the entry into retail, please?
1: Well, i have been on the Apple and Pear de- <coughs> Development Council as a member, And when I gave up um, chairing the Women's Farming Union in um, 1986, yes, um, I needed a job because my husband and I had just bought our bit of the family farm at 17% interest. I know. So, you know, when I say that to young farmers now, I say, you don't know, you don't know. And uh, so uh, I I needed to get another job. So we had an income for the farm. And one of the... um, members of the Apple and Pear Development Council um, knew somebody in a big PR company in London and he suggested I went to talk to them so I could talk to them about the consumer and issues so I got a job with them and for once we then had I had a red BMW and a salary which was quite an exciting thing in our household I have to tell you and then I got headhunted from there five years later I'm a kind of five-year person um, to join Safeway. And I met the then chairman, chief executive, Alistair Grant, who was just unique in in terms of helping the industry. Um, And he said, oh, your name came up a year ago, but I thought you were too busy farming. So Mm. I went into a job with a blank sheet of paper and we were the minnow. I mean, Sainsbury's, Tesco's much bigger than us. So it was a fabulous opportunity to just get on with it. Um, I'm not very good at corporate politics, so I just sat down and... um, We went out with this famous Strathclyde project, which had been started, but the chairman said to me, this is a really up your street, Teresa, and we'd looked at The six areas where we were importing products like bacon, vegetables, fruit, soft fruit, and saying, why were we doing it? Was it the um, buyer or was it that the grower couldn't supply it? And we used the University of Strasbourg to do all the big paperwork. So the groups were set up, and I had to sort of go around and manage with another director from um, Safeway. And that was amazing because people started to talk together about what the differences were. They couldn't talk price, even then, they could never talk price but out of it came the some of the groups did better than others out of it came the soft fruit produce promotion they set up summer fruits from that because they'd sat down and so in a way it's about communication and cooperation meat industry didn't didn't benefit from it but the other thing that started with the vegetables was we started the children's bit of getting the children to eat more fruit and veg, which has now been taken up by the Food Foundation. They're doing a brilliant job on it.
0: Yeah, with VegPad. And, and, yes. and VegPad just gained more sponsorship. And, and they've got another £5 million uh, TV campaign that they've managed to black for free uh, because, uh, because uh, of the great team there and, um, and what, what, what they've been able to create. So that's great news. But
1: this was incentive.
0: To, 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 to... Sorry, Karen. on, oh, Teresa
1: no this was incentive and this was the whole idea in fact it was came out of some research birds I had done to give the children had some incentive to eat more fresh fruit and vegetables in the schools. so even if you weren't good at games even if you were overweight you could still get the t-shirt by eating the cherry tomatoes or something so it was done mm-hmm. on a psychological thing and that's the trouble with yeah. farming sometimes we, we're too traditional this was looking at it back to front so it was looking we did it from the psychological department of Bangor University University.
0: What were the triggers to get people doing so, it? Got it. So, so, so what, what would be your advice today? We talked about the likes of um, social media. I'm, I am of a, of a view when I'm a bit cynical and when, when the weather's a bit grey. Um, and I've got clients bemoaning to me the fact that they're not getting the margin that they, they think they require from the re- retailers to be able to, to invest and spe- especially even more so with the price inflation that's going on. To, to me, there's a number of food, large, large global food companies out there who perhaps could do good, but don't want to because they're just chasing um, chasing the the the, the pound. Um, How can we influence the the consumer, the UK consumer, the international consumer to eat more fresh produce, to eat more healthily rather than perhaps being succumbed by these um, high, high sugar, high fat uh, foods? And and, and Theresa says even more so with the uh, with the report that um, our current prime minister is not looking to um, add any uh, taxes on high salt, high, high fat foods. How can we influence the consumer to eat better, do you think?
1: Well, I think people are much more concerned about their health. Uh, now than they ever were might have been covid it might be something else Um, and we're beginning to see what the uh, impact is particularly uh, you know if you're young and you're overweight how do you actually get round to it so there are some programs going uh, to eat more fruit and vegetables and two things are happening one which started in america under wholesome wave where the doctors prescribe a prescription and people can go to the market and get their fresh fruit and vegetables and the alexander rose Um, charity here is doing it i went to see it in brixton so so there are things that are actually happening and i think the bigger thing that's going to happen to a lot of people is this urban farming that's developing Uh, so where you've got people uh, i mean i saw the marks and spencers in oxford street when you go downstairs you open the glass cabinet and cut your salad OK, not everybody shops in Marks and yep. Spencer's food department, but I think food is coming to the town and growing is coming to the town. Mm. And I think people are starting yep. to realise the consumer will never buy anything unless they see how it affects them and their family. What do they And they trust the yep. people. You might have masses of social media and masses of followers for the young. But actually, if you... Listen to your friend who tells you what to do. I'll just give you an example. When we were at Safeway, um, McKinsey came in and they said um, I had taken the company to environmentally friendly. In other words, we were were ahead of our time. But what we found was people shopped with Safeway till they got married and then they went to Sainsbury's because their mother and grandmother had shopped at Sainsbury's when they were married. Do you see no. so, so you can see the psychology we as an industry, we need to think what are the triggers and i think I think the Food Foundation with vegpower have got it i think alexander I think there are lots of initiatives. The trouble is that they're all over the place. we need to pull them more together
0: yes, and i I, I love that thought about uh, get, getting that, that collaboration especially parents there's a marketing term uh, why care and share so if you've got two parents in a school playground stating or oh, have you seen the veg power campaign i'm going to do a trade bake for my for my kids what's the veg power campaign oh you must go have a look at it. it's it got lots of interesting and, and then that opens up into the whole educational piece that we we've have interviewed um and i've forgotten her name but an amazing chef um who uh, went into a school kitchen on um and and uh Uh, look to get the kids to to be uh, totally in union with fresh food and to prep the food themselves. And they've now got got to the point where the food foraging, um, when when they can during during the summer, to bring the food back into the school kitchen to to, to cook. So there's that whole educational piece, just not with the kids, though, is it? It's also with teachers and the schools themselves, that why should the schools be just having the cheap option of dealing with a monosyllabic food company when they could actually put so much passion in and get the the school and the the cooking element within within the school as one, because if the kids get it, especially at a young age, they'll then start cooking for themselves ongoing?
1: You're absolutely right. And when we went to Brixton to look at them about getting the children to eat more fruit and veg, the headmaster said to us, oh, I was very reluctant to do this because he said, I didn't think it would um, work. And then he said, it's been fantastic because it's got... The teachers have got behind it, so we've done it in geography. It's spread throughout yeah. the whole school. And he said, actually, truancy is down. People, more yes. children are coming into school. So it, it's this sort of impact. But I think there's some people who've done fantastic work on um, school meals. And I know Sheila Dillon mm-hmm. from the food programme has sort of given pri- uh, prizes to these people. But they're working in little pockets You know, um, you get a passionate person there and it's it's sort of how do you bring it all together so you can learn from the people? How did they do it? How did they balance the budget? Because the budget is not great, but they managed to do it. it. If you've got somebody who's passionate locally, get them interested in the food.
0: Yeah. So, so having a like a penalty tax. So the National Food Strategy uh, by Mr. Dibbleby has, has intimated that there should be a tax on high sugar, high, high salt fats. And that doesn't look like it's going to happen because Boris doesn't want to upset those those big food companies. But just learning from you, Teresa, going back to what you, you've stated, said that if we can influence the consumer, the kids, the schools um, to actually uh, get get those kids and, and the schools to start cooking with more fresh food that's going to be a benefit for them on a health health basis um, and also for the for, for our sectors as a, as a whole because um, more fresh produce will be sold but as you say it's a bubble so how, how can how can we find a solution to instead of it being a bubble to be because in like in other countries uh, whether it be the, the, the likes of um, Sweden um, or well, even France to an extent, they 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 don't have these sort of issues that we have in the UK. So so what's the magic wand that we can break down those bubbles and, and make it, it make it countrywide for the likes of schools to to feed our children properly? What's the answer?
1: Well, I think with the big companies, they are actually remodulating their products, because whether Boris puts a tax on or not, it takes a long time to, change, to take out some of the sugar, not to affect the taste. So it'll take them a year or two, and a lot of them have already gone down that track. So mm-hmm. I think that's what's happening. But I think at the end of the day, if you go into the schools, the trouble for poor parents now—probably both are working—but they're the consumer of the school, and they're the people who can put pressure on the school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So with them, so so with on on that um, aspect, are you positive about the future for our general health in respect of our, our eating more more fresh produce, or, or do do you think we're on a downward curve?
1: No, I think I think two things are happening, but it won't happen overnight. I think people have got more interested in growing their own food, even if they just have a balcony or things like that. And once they've grown some carrots or tomatoes and their children have grown some seeds, they start to view it in a different way. And that's the difficulty is I mean, we talk forever about, you know, people shop in supermarkets, but don't realize it comes from the earth. But I think there's a changing thing um, and people can do it. I mean, social media is a big power. Um, the, cookery, but the cookery programs, they don't do enough on farms. I mean, the person who's done the most for farming is Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> You know, and, and you look at that, and you thought, would you ever have done a farming program with Jeremy Clarkson? And, it, and and people have got to realize they've got to think outside the box and do something that would probably be completely opposite, and and that leads to to all sorts of change of behavior.
0: It does, doesn't, doesn't it? So you're so you're so you're happy that the future is is bright. If we but we got we can't stop. We have got to just keep going. And if there's going to be a positive out of the, the last um, last couple of years. People want to eat more fresh food. So if we can educate them in novel means, whether that be the likes of VegPow or, or Jeremy Clarkson, and we just keep banging that, that drum, uh, we, we should be in a better place.
1: Well, I think what's happening is now we haven't got um, the common market, you know, the guaranteed subsidy. When we went in, in 79, we went for capital grants rather than getting cheap credit. The French went for cheap credit. So we were uh, uh, led along a path of if you do this, you'll get this amount of money. The next generation of growers are not interested in subsidy. What they don't want is regulation. But they're the ones who are coming up with the innovative ideas whether it's an app to show you back to the farm and and on farming themselves they're looking at what can they produce you know I mean we're producing hemp now we're producing all sorts of things and the big thing now is is either vertical farming or insect farming
0: yep Yep.
1: And insect yep. farming in Canada has the biggest insect farms and they're yep. feeding the protein that's been fed to fish and chicken. And eventually we will be getting our protein from yep. things like that. So there's lots of opportunities out there, yep. but it, we've got to get over the British farmers reluctance to cooperate, because if you're yep. going to create volume, you, you've got to franchise something. You've got to get to get some sort of franchise that you can all work together, owning the yep. share. And that's the only way to get a bigger share of the market.
0: Yeah, well, well done. And I'm, I'm going to pull a quote out from the City Food Lecture again. And again, I've forgotten the chap's name, but they, they, Four or five years ago, they had the uh, the VP of PepsiCo um, as the main speaker, and um, after he said his bit, um, Chris White, um, editor at uh, Your Fruit Magazine at FPJ, uh, uh, asked the question: uh, so when are you going to start in, um, investing in, in bananas? When are you going to get? When is PepsiCo going to get involved in the fresh produce trade?" And uh, this VP of PepsiCo just s- s- spun it straight back to Chris and said, "When you show me how to make money out of bananas, we'll get involved." And again, this, this is so this just let me have a, a bit of a ramble on this one. So, we, at the moment, from what I can see, the government is, is so busy with other things, it's fairly ineffective in trying to guide the, the UK populace to um, have a, um, a healthy understanding of where food is coming from. Even though Boris Johnson, after he had COVID, stated, We're a nation of fatties, I'm going to do my utmost to try and better this. Uh, we're, we're being a burden on the NHS, we've got to eat better. So, so there is that, that positive pressure from, from government, but government's so busy and, and perhaps they're not the best people to, to, to do it. We've then got the food companies who are constantly now telling us about their sustainability goals um, and how, how they would have carbon neutrality, but they're still producing food that is high in sugar, high, high in tax. Perhaps they want to do good and they'll realise, um, a bit like um, the tobacco industry, that um, filling our kids full of full uh, fatty foods and, and high sugar, high, high salt foods isn't doing good. And they'll have to actually sacrifice some shareholder value and start getting involved in um, areas such as fresh food that will do good. Because you and I spent too much time in front of uh, fresh produce companies who are doing good, but aren't making the margin to be able to create marketing campaigns to, to get anywhere near the likes of a branded crisp or or, or, a, or a sugary, sugary drink. And, and there seems to be that... that Again, I use that that uh, tobacco example, the, the these branded foods that aren't doing good for, for our, our kids are uh, have can, can make so much margin that they can sponsor Formula 1 cars and they can sponsor sport, sports people whilst the Apple industry can't because they can't have, have the margin. I just hope, Teresa, that those food companies realise that they could, with a little churn, turn of the, of the um, oil tanker of a, of a food machine, that they could get more involved in our food sector and, and do good. Am I dreaming?
1: No, you're not dreaming, but I think there's another element to to this as well, is how we actually sell our fresh produce. Fresh produce is always the first aisle because people know it's attractive, but actually, if you I went to look in Whole Foods, I did a big uh, American tour oh, when wow. I was at Safeway and they had whole tables piled up with mushrooms and things like that. And you actually felt, oh, I want to buy this stuff. Everything otherwise is all wrapped, packaged and things like that. So I think that that the industry itself should challenge the retailers because the margins in retailers on uh, fresh produce is good that you know the margins vary across the side um and um i think they should challenge the retailers to to sell it better way that makes it more attractive to people but doesn't compromise food safety food safety was the biggest problem you know yeah. that's why salad bars went but but it's not it's not really attractive to buy you know you, you're buying this because it's on your list but you don't go in there and say wow when I went to fresh food Fu- whole foods yeah. in America open till 10 o'clock at night and these piles of this abundant stuff and you thought wow you know, So I, I think we've got to get the wow factor back into selling. Um, I'm not, it's good to have a British sticker on it, but I'm not sure it's... It, the other thing that happens with, with fresh produce is you buy plums or you buy peaches or you buy nectarines, they're underripe and they go bad at home. You yep. know, there's a huge opportunity for somebody, they started smelling, uh, selling uh, flowers that smelt and, and that charged more. I asked my traders in Covent Garden, because they supply the restaurants, I said, how do you manage to get produce to the chefs that's ripe and ready to eat? You know, if they can do it, then the retailers should start thinking about it, but they're thinking about waste, they're thinking about things like that, but that's what makes more waste in the consumer's home.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and do you think, brand, do you think, do you think all fresh producers have have a have a brand? Because there's so many companies in the UK and even more so in the likes of the states, thinking that the the the, the route to success is to have a brand, and then we can compete head to head with a with an energy drink or or a packet of crisps. Do, do you think branding's a, a, a way to go?
1: Yes, but I don't think we understand brand in this country. I mean, the Red Tractor is not a brand. They keep telling me it is, but it isn't. A brand has to have values. It has to have something, the reason that you want to buy it at the end of the day. Um, and I don't think we've ever really captured that. But if you go walk around a supermarket, and I used to take farmers around it, if you look at some of the ready meals now, you've got one with Charlie Bingham's meals. Yep. And Charlie's matching the advertising. Um, you look at um, Fever Tree you know how have they grown that market that is an expensive product because it's gone for the premium market but it's got a story behind it people know they're buying something else like that and we we failed to do that we failed it with apples and we had fantastic advertising for apples which we weren't allowed to use when we had the apdc which was paid for by a levy for growers which, which is not great news so so we need to make it more attractive we need to make people understand and with uh, what they're going to do is more now uh, you t- talked about the daughter you know ordering her thing on her bicycle you know have the qr code and you can go back to the farm yep. where it's produced they did that in sweden 8 years ago on a yogurt and a meatball and then it sort of faded yep. out but but if people really want to know then they can look at it yep. you know there's lots I've of been, opportunities
0: and, and teresa i've just had a, a whatsapp uh, remind me say max talk to teresa about taste taste of fresh produce and i always go back to my example of um richard diplock um who's the M- md of um, a great uh, tomato business with multiple sites in, in the uk And when i interviewed him last year he said yeah we, we're not really after a brand what we want people to do is to taste our tomatoes our british tomatoes because once they've tasted them they'll never go back so my example i bought some um some tomatoes with my 13 year old boy um split them in half and had a sort of force force them in him every time we go shopping he's now buying tomatoes because of that that taste so i think it and exactly the same as we know with, with british apples if you can get a a, a, a segment a slice of british apples and in, in, so i'm gonna be a bit rude and a kid's gob and and they enjoy it because of that 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 taste And we all know what a, a fresh piece of uh, british apple is like you've yet, you've then got them so we we need to also remember teresa as, as per my contact uh, what's happening we Got to remember that taste element as well as the the, the visual look because if we can get them on taste we've got them for life
1: you're absolutely right and this is where we got um sh- caught by the new zealanders who developed the braeburn apple and what they did was they sat down and they said what does the consumer want in an apple and braeburn came up we were doing uh what root stock should we have it on yeah. well, how should we do it like that yeah. so it, it, it simply goes back to this message what does the consumer want? What's it in for them? And of course, yeah. we're now growing Braeburn here, but it goes back, you're talking about taste, then it goes back to being ripe. You know, yep. you've got to have fruit that's ripe and you've got to tell people it's ripe and ready to eat. I mean, even if you buy ripe avocados, ripe and ready to eat, I'm sorry, but it takes
0: a couple of days. They're, they're like hand grenades. They're just, yeah, you, and Absolutely. You, you buy them to, to consume there and then. You know, and, and not not to be not, not to fight it and cut cut your hand open.
1: But you could increase the sales if you increased um, the, the ripeness. And as you say, then the taste would come, provided you've yeah. got the right variety. And people say that was delicious. I mean, we used to grow masses of ool and plums. We had a lot of soft fruit here, and they were to die for. Absolutely yeah. to die for. I've had to plant them now in my garden. You can't wow. buy them anywhere.
0: So, so come on, with your farming background, your your retail background, and let's call it your advisory background, that there's so much intellectual horsepower um, with, with, within you. What, what's your advice to, to the sector, to individual growers or growing, growing groups, Um, or or companies as to how we can prosper the 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 fresh produce sector in the UK what what's your advice what would you like us to do over the next 5-10 years to make this this sector even more successful.
1: I think they started when when we were doing the women's farming union and and when I was doing Strathclyde um, our window of growing was very, very short. Um, So if you take raspberries or strawberries, you can now get strawberries from April around till October because of the different methods. But they've got to be something that people enjoy getting them. It's no good picking strawberries with a great big white tip on them. So they've got to understand and have pride in their products. And I think the industry needs to cooperate more still. We've got too many people in silos you know i mean particularly yeah. in the horticultural sector and and quite frankly having sat on all these boards what do they you know what are they delivering and and henry's done this wonderful food strategy great yep. papers but where's the action i mean the yep. math and defra are dotted with libraries of you know Curry Commission, all these things yeah. like that. And, and they come up with these great ideas, but then where do they go to? And that's why I was so pleased with the soft fruit people. I mean, I'll yeah. give you an example. Well um, I chaired the London Tourist Board during 9-11 and Foot and Mouth. And I had um, hotels there with um, uh, floors that were shut because um, the Americans weren't coming. And we'd, we'd got ourselves in London so dependent on our North American market that when we had this um, uh, disc uh, of Tony Blair in a white suit investing, burning cows, the Hatfield train crash and floods. Mm-hmm. So people we used to bring from America saying, is it safe to come to England? Do I have to bring my own food? W- you know, we didn't understand where it was. So from that, luckily enough, Colin Marshall was at British Airways and he got us 40 million from Tony Blair mm-hmm. to regroup the American trade people and to get people to think about, what we could offer here, and farming 's a bit like that, you know you 've got to understand what what it is that people want, and um, Covid has had a huge, huge um, impact, which we haven 't measured yet because more people have been working from home, so yep. of course, you saw all the online increasing yeah now online 's great, but fresh produce people actually want to choose themselves
0: yeah well said what well, What well, well said so, so, so do you think that we've got to see more collaboration within within the sector, uh, less less talk and, and more action, um, and especially on the back of um, COVID, that at the talking shops, I remember uh, an ex-boss of mine, um, when he got invited to get involved with a, with a panel uh, about um, some food technical element, of, he, he, he declined because he just deemed it as a talking shop. And just like you, you, you intimated that, he saw so many files of reports just uh, being locked away, nothing being being actioned, and there's a whole industry behind that. So we we need more direct action, just like you created with the Women's Farming Union on on the Apple side. We we need to see more direct action, more collaboration within UK horticulture to to the consumer um, and to our educationalists to to, to raise raise our profile to, to get people to eat more fresh produce.
1: Well, I think also we we need to not we, we need to invest in R and D, and this is what we're doing. And it, it's interesting to see at East Malling the research station has now linked up, and they're doing some fantastic things. But what people forget, East Malling is if we we grew all the strawberries that are now planted in America and things like yeah. that. If we'd had like Tetrapack, a sort of a P for every patent we'd done, we would yeah. we are. Budget for R and D would be amazing. So things are coming, but I'm not sure how close the link is with the consumer and our R and D. You know, we we need to think. We need to start from the beginning. Who am I trying to sell to, and what is it they want?
0: Okay, and you you mentioned the likes of vertical farming. (laughs) So there's yet another uh, business got yet another hundred million pounds worth of investment um, last week. Um, And that's new investment money coming in, but we've got this very established uh, UK horticultural fresh produce sector, which if anything, my view is if that investment came into that sector, uh, more good could be done and more return would be would be created rather than investing into into a vertical farm which today especially with energy costs perhaps is not the, the best investment to go in on the basis that we need to collaborate as a sector do we need to attract the the elon musks uh, the jeff Bezos in, into our sector so that we can invest to to prosper the sector as well do, do we need to have that that collaboration with with those sort of um com- companies ongoing do you think Yes, I think we need to have that sort of thinking at the end of the day. I mean, um, you need
1: to have somebody who's not connected with the industry at all to really look and say, look, this is useful to do. I mean, as you say about city money is a wash at the moment. A lot of it's going into uh, vines. A lot of it's going into insect farming, but a lot of it is going into thinking ahead. I mean, Dyson is one of the biggest farmers in the country. He's got over 33,000 acres. But they have to learn um, you have to deal with the weather and we have to deal with the new technology, because one of the biggest problems for horticulture is labor. You know, yep. I mean, in my day, I had uh, picking gangs for black currant of 100 people who'd come out on the old London bus, sit on bushel boxes and milk like you were milking. They'd milk the black currant bushes. Well, now you have one machine. Whiz, whiz, whiz. You know, so yep. labor is an important bit because um, people see it, they don't see it as a, a sort of 12 months job or a career. So yep. our, our biggest issue at the moment is labour in soft fruit and on um, top
0: fruit. Okay. And, and Teresa, just on that, on that front, is a, a very good uh, segue just, just as we're starting to wrap up and run out of time. Uh, students, uh, younger people, uh, why should they get involved in the UK horticulture, UK fresh produce sector?
1: I think they should get involved because there's such a variety of jobs and talent that's needed and it's not just picking apples off a tree it's, it's the technology it's the science behind it it's the nutrition and we don't sell ourselves as an industry enough of the wide variety of jobs I mean we're not the only industry yeah. that says that catering says it supermarkets say it too but we need we need to get a much greater dialogue with the children when they're sort of 13, 14, not the university round and start telling them what an exciting, interesting job outside, inside could be to use their skills to to develop.
0: Yeah, well well said and I've slightly led the witness uh, in the respect of the last couple of years on a recruitment perspective, we've seen more and more younger individuals um, knocking on our door um, on on a recruitment perspective and to find out more about uh, fresh produce and horticulture because they could see that growing um, is doing good, uh, especially on the the whole sustainability message. And and I I call it the Goldman Sachs moment that uh, rather than being aligned to Goldman Sachs with a with a smart uh, um, suit in in an office in London and getting paid very very well well you're not actually doing any good to be involved with the UK horticulture where you you meet the most and Teresa you you know this more than I you meet the most amazing people and to be involved with um, as per Teresa's background some of the innovation that uh, Teresa's seen ongoing, and 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 you this next generation it's going to be even more fascinating And, and Teresa the bit that really excites me for this younger generation is is on on a global basis that if if you get into the sector, you can make friends um, and you can find connections and you can find industries in South Africa, South America, Australia, uh, North America. And it's, Teresa, it's it's an amazing family community, isn't it, fresh produce? I've I've, I've seen and been associated with other sectors, say like engineering, but I've just never seen that love and passion and community of fresh produce on on a global basis.
1: No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think what is happening, again, and go back to COVID, people are suddenly thinking, what am I doing with my life? You know, yep. like that. And a lot of people are changing their things like that. Where We, we are a nation of gardeners. You know probably the whole world we're the ones who, who do more people are starting to want to work outside it's better for their health they're enjoying it you know uh, you can actually take your kids to work sometimes i won't go back to the old women who the uh, farm uh women who used to have all the prams lined up behind <laughs> them in the picking shed you know so it's it, it is an industry but i think we need to refresh our thinking um, and and say to people why it's an attractive industry and as you say you can go to a British company here like Barclays but you can also go and work in their things abroad you can Absolutely. you can learn yeah. so much um, yeah. and it, 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 it's different talent is needed different
0: jobs yeah uh, uh, there's a lovely Moroccan family um, I know that grow uh, amazing grapes and above their kitchen door, they have a sign saying that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. So for, for those young, younger individuals, we, we can't uh, not mention the likes of um, uh, the MDS scheme, Teresa, which is so good in the way of the placements that it, that it offers and also the likes of the Washable Company of fruiterers, farmers, um, and on, on all the courses that, that they run to really um, educate and inspire that, uh, that, that generation ongoing. So, so Teresa, just as, uh, as we wrap up, uh, advice, advice to your younger self? What, what would you say to, to, to your younger self?
1: Um, I think to my younger self, I'd say if I was starting again, um, find a good mentor. Uh, And I think that people forget the value of mentors at the end of the day. They don't necessarily even be in the the same um, industry. But if you have a good mentor who challenges you and it makes you think of it at the end of the day. So that's what I would say. I've had people who've helped me and I realise now they were mentoring, but I hadn't thought about it at the time.
0: Yeah, well done. That's top, top advice. And final question. What is your favourite fresh produce, please? What is my favourite press Oh, English apples. I love the hesitation. Say anything else? No, no, (laughs) (laughs) English (laughs) apples. We nearly lost it then, Teresa. (laughs) No, she's off. (laughs) She's recommended something else. That's brilliant. Excellent. Um, So, Teresa, we we must just give a big up for the uh, National Fruit Show. Uh, What's the what's the timetable of events for, for this year, please?
1: Well, it's going to be around the 2nd of November and we're going to get, last year was very successful. We got all sorts of people there and and I invited a lot of people from outside the industry and that's what I'm going to do. It's my last year as president. So I'm getting people who might think they know a lot about the English apple industry and the English soft fruit industry, but just spending a day there, the two, three, four, five, six people I brought who'd never have been to something like that before have raved about it. So, but it's up to all of us you know
0: there's lots of enthusiasm in the industry excellent and that's what we need teresa we need your fresh thinking your innovative thinking um ongoing within within the sector to get us get us out of these uh, perceived silos so that we can get the sector to push on forward with all of the headwind that we've we've now got with the with the consumer especially looking to um, consume more of our more, of our more more of our fresh produce our great uk fresh produce Teresa, thank you very much for your time. You, you're a tour de force. You're, you're brilliant. And we all look forward to coming down, especially to, to attend the National Fruit Show later in the year. That would be lovely. We we'll really welcome you. Great. Excellent. And, and don't go out of the wind. It's still, it's still very windy out there. So let's stay, stay inside. Excellent. Teresa, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.